You are Locked On Lakers. Your daily Los Angeles Lakers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Locked On Lakers for Friday. Brian Kamenetsky and Andy Kamenetsky. Uh, excited to uh, welcome in in just a moment a great guest for today's show. Before we get there, though, I want to let you know today's episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. Enjoyment isn't the end game. It's the whole game. And at only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, it's only worth it if you enjoy it. Andy, I referenced our guest. Um, he is the author of a new book. It's a really great read for NBA fans. It's called Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever. He can also be you can find his work at Bleacher Report as well. He's Jake Fisher. Yay. He's built hey, to Jake, win, how are you? Jake Fisher himself. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. That was a very pleasant introduction. I'm excited to be here and have some fun. Thank you. So yeah, we Andy and I had a chance to to look at the to to look at the book and 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 dive into it a little bit. And like I said, it's a great read. There's a ton of original reporting and great stuff on uh, the Lakers teams that Andy and I covered horrendous um and uh, not a whole lot of fun um, and what we learned later was uh that we were uh seen as perhaps not being optimistic enough not enthusiastic enough about the team to which i replied what the hell are we supposed to do like win more than 17 games a chance we tried we did the best we could um and everybody like talk about how much they wanted to, all they wanted to do is trade the people that like we were supposed to be enthusiastic about we did our best andy we did our best jake it's the best we could do yeah and they didn't make it easy for you guys i'll tell you that no and, and we're definitely going to talk about we're, they're going to talk about uh we're going to get into that era of the lakers over the course of this interview but in terms of tanking and that whole ethos i i wanted to actually begin by asking just how do you define tanking? And do you think tanking has become a misunderstood uh, term at all? Because it, it's become very broadly applied. It, it, it's like Xerox at this point in terms of like a catch-all thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to me, I think tanking is when a franchise sets out from the get-go, from that whole opening tip of the season. We are intending to lose games this year with the goal in mind of our the worst our record is, the higher the chances are we have at getting the number one pick in the draft. That, to me, is what it is. I mean, that's why I think um, you know it, it, the Lakers are an interesting topic because they were not – intentionally tanking even though oh, no. they were the worst team in the league for five years from 2012 to 2017 they were not tanking they were bottoming out but they were not doing it intentionally yeah you know, we we try to explain that to people a lot no 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 they're trying which is a whole other issue um but <laughs> is there is there a difference in your mind between trying to like what is the difference between trying to lose and doing things that are developmentally related so where you're not necessarily trying to win. Like, do you understand yeah. the sort of the distinction that I'm making? For sure. And that's why the book is called Built to Lose. It's because it's it's typically, you know, construction by an executive fielding a roster of a lot of young players who don't have the talent yet or the in-game experience to really compete on a night-to-night -night basis. So you can sell it as we're growing our guys. We we hired this first-time assistant, you know, new head coach who is known for player development and skill growth and all that type of stuff. And we can, you know, sell this idea of in two years, we'll be good. 
come in now, get on the ground floor, the water's warm, like get on our bandwagon. And by the time this project has, you know, reached its next level, like we'll be in the playoffs and you'll be here and it'll all be worth it. That's that's kind of definitely the, the, the spin that franchises can put on the approach. Why do you think it's so upsetting to, I guess, whether you're talking about fans, media, to other franchises around the league? Because to some degree, there there is a big common sense element to this in terms of big picture thinking and trying to have a vision for an organization moving forward. Like it, you're not talking about teams like in the movie Major League where they were trying to lose because they wanted to relocate or something like that and, and make everything so miserable in the process. Every they're, time they're you sh- lose, you take a slight, a small cardboard <laughs> piece off of Jim Bus. <laughs> yeah, that 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 was not crowd pleasing on a lot of levels. But I mean, wh- no. Wh- why do you think that this creates such a polarizing reaction? Because th- there is a very, I think, matter of fact element to this approach. I, th- I think you know. Pete, the detractors talk about it from a holistic approach of you play to win the game, right? And I think when the NBA is at its healthiest is when the majority of teams in the league, their fan bases can show up to the arena that night and think that their team's got a shot at winning that game. But the reality, I think, and, and why this topic became to the point where something I could write a book about it, I think as these analytical-minded executives rose to power on the league, like it wasn't just Sam Hinkie. It was Rob Hennigan in Orlando and Ryan McDonough in Phoenix and David Griffin comes to power in Cleveland and there's Pete D'Alessandro in Sacramento and Daryl Morey even hails from the Boston regime that they, they rebuilt and they trade KG and Paul Pierce the same night that Sam Hinkie traded Drew Holiday to New Orleans, you know, like the, the team building strategy and, and, and the talk about roster construction has bled into the into the forefront of the media coverage and of you know fans topics and conversation on social media and I think now we talk more about this you know abstract the idea of what someone's trying to accomplish rather than the actual games themselves so I think that's why it's also become such a, a hot button issue around you know the sport at large. That's interesting to me. Really, really quick, just the the idea that this is not a new thing. Like, Mm -hmm. if memory serves, the Spurs tanked to get Tim Duncan. You know, the the Cavs were tanking to get LeBron. And I don't remember the reaction being this, you know, this angry or even considered this big of a thing. I think it was mostly looked at as common sense. I I think you, you raise a really good point, Jake, about how a lot of this is just the way something that has always been happening gets covered or the it, way the league is viewed or right. animosity about the way the league it, it's, has shifted in terms of who runs it. Yeah, because and, and just to add on to that, Andy, sorry to interrupt you, but like in, it happens in every sport. I mean, football, mm-hmm. which has no lottery, here it's, you know, oh my God, the, the Jaguars won and they're going to take their themselves out of the, the, the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes, whatever it is. It, 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 like Andy said, like it's not unheard of in other places. It's happened in the end, but it is something that has become a much bigger deal now in the NBA yeah. than it used to be. I think part of that is in, in, in basketball, there's only five guys on the court for one side, and they can play both sides of the ball. 
as much as the quarterback is considered by so many people to be the most important position in sports, it's not. Like the fact LeBron has been able to make eight out of ten finals or whatever it is, you know, it's as much a testament to his greatness as it is to the way the NBA and sport is structured, where he can play the entire game and dominate on both sides of the court. Like that's just the truth of the matter. So when those guys are available as, as a 19-year-old kid or an 18-year-old kid for an opportunity to, t- to, to have him for seven years. Like there's all this talk in the league right now about the pressure the Pelicans are, are, are starting to face about keeping Zion Williamson. But is he really going to turn down a max contract to stay in the war? Is he really going to turn down $200 million? Probably not. No one's ever done that yet before. So as much as there's all this controversy, like the Pelicans tanked, they definitely did. They got Zion. And here they are. So I think that's why it's so prevalent and valuable in the league, too, because they're in great a lot shape of guys right coming in every year. Yeah. The Grizzlies did it. And they got John Morant in the same draft. Yeah. So there's a lot of there's a lot of benefits. To this OK, draft. let's let's stick with that for a second, because it, it relates, as you mentioned, a little bit to the Lakers, uh, certainly how they got good, but also what they were trying to do while they were terrible, because um, I have kind of a, a fundamental question to ask about the the idea of tanking. We'll do that next. Locked on Lakers brought to you by rockauto.com. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models out there, it's impossible to stock all the parts you would need in a traditional chain storefront. And why would you spend 30%, 50%, 100% more for the exact same parts in a chain store or new car dealership anyway? You can get it for far less at rockauto.com. Rockauto.com always offers the lowest prices possible rather than changing the prices based on the market like the airlines do. Do not get me started on the airline. Jake, your next book, should be an expose to bring down that entire industry because it's built to win and that's actually a problem the rockauto.com they're a family business jake there if you write a book on them it's going to be all positive they, they serve auto park customers online for 20 years and counting whether it's for your classic or daily driver get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door just like jake's book when you order it Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in the How Did You Hear Us About Us box so they know we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Okay, Jake, so you mentioned in that that question that Andy asked before the break, you mentioned Rob Hannigan in Orlando. You mentioned the Cavs. You mentioned uh, uh, what's going on in New Orleans. You talked a little bit. All of these situations are sort of tanking, half tanking, accidental tanking, whatever it might be. Mike, it leads to me, it leads me to this basic question. Does tanking work? And if it does, like when does it work and when doesn't tanking work? I think it, it, it's a difficult question to answer being that I don't think a lot of people accept my answer to this because I don't think not to not to be highfalutin and holier than now, but I don't think fans really Do understand it. how the NBA's like results business actually works. The goal is not to just, the goal is not to win a title. On its face, it is, but the goal really is to put yourself in the conversation and the and, and the true group of contenders that have a shot. Because look at these playoffs in particular, right? Injuries happen, infighting happens. There's so much at play that's working against even the best built team, the most talented team to actually win the title. That these top executives, the indirect true serum into them, they'll say, you know, I'm just trying to put myself and my team in a position to even have a shot at it. Mm -hmm. So with tanking, I think 
you know, if you bottom out for a couple years and, and you load up a bunch of all-stars and you put yourself in the position to win a title, it just doesn't work out. You know, if you're there in the conversation, you, you are a threat and you are a viable contender, I think it works. But a lot of people will look at Philly and say, especially if they lose to Atlanta, they never got out of the second round. But obviously there's been, you know, dramatic uh, collapses in their last two games that I don't think is a negative result of tanking. The Kawhi shot I don't think is a negative result of tanking. Even Boston, you know, they made three out of five conference finals in the same time, right right from the same rebuild that Philly did. And, you know, they got Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown from those two Nets picks. And they added Kyrie and, Hor- and Horford and Hayward. And that was a bonafide, you know, legitimate contender. Then they just struggled to keep it all together. Well, I mean, I, only one only one team can win. But like, there's exactly. a the, the logic of it. Before we get to the Lakers part of this, the logic of it, like, there's no point in the NBA of being aggressively average. Like, yes, there's no curve because then you're not in that conversation. You you can if you're even the the Trailblazers. So a couple of years ago, they make a conference final, whatever it is. You can if you're if you can get into the playoffs and win a round or two, like you can you can talk about yourselves as at least we've got a chance. But if you're, you know, kind of forever at the edge of the lottery or whatever it is, not only are you not getting the elite players who might be available in the draft, you're also not part of the conversation. You are yeah. functionally irrelevant at that point. That is the worst place to be in the NBA. Exactly. So to me, if you go from the middle or if you go from the top and you go back to the bottom and you get back at least into that top conversation, even if you don't get that ring, I think it can work. I mean, Phoenix right now, They've got Devin Booker and DeAndre, and they were not the two guys that they thought when Ryan McDonough traded for Emeka Okafor, who had a herniated disc in his back in 2013-14. He was not going to play. They thought they'd be the worst team in the West. They ended up winning 48 games. That's a whole other story in the book. But you know, they didn't think it'd be Devin Booker and DeAndre. And but sure enough, they got these two young all-stars, and Chris Paul wants to come. And if the Suns don't win the title this year, or if Chris Paul leaves in free agency, which I doubt he will, then people might say – might not remember the Suns as effectively as if they won at all, right? So I, I do think tanking does work. It's just it's so perilous to actually really get to that top of the mountaintop once you do start climbing back up. Right. I would say too. It just it, before I, you know, the next question, like it, it only affords you the opportunity to have access well, to to players, but you still got to do it right. Well, um, I think also too the 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 rings culture and the way yeah. we look at a lot of this stuff, especially over like the last. 20 years, really, when we started thinking about anybody threatening, I think Michael Jordan, in terms of the avatar of the NBA, changed a lot of this because we, I think in some ways, we devalue the idea of 50 wins perennially and like how much of an accomplishment that actually is, even if you don't win a championship. Like you said, you are putting yourself legitimately in, in a place where you could win it all. And that's something like what Philadelphia has done. But then if they don't end up winning at all, people will say, well, I guess the process didn't work. It's like, well, no, it, it did work as a blueprint. It just didn't get you literally everything. And yeah. sometimes that doesn't happen just because like LeBron and Steph are in the league. Too bad. Yeah. The other thing I think people all people who do tank, you know, not, not just people outside of the people in the NBA, I think people don't recognize in the moment how much harder it's going to be after you draft those guys. That's when the real work starts. The three of us could go take over front office right now and trade away all our best players and compile as many assets as we can. We might not do as good a job as Sam Presti did compiling all these picks, but we could get some, but then we'd have some, some trouble trying to build it back up from there. So I think, and that's a task that is Maybe tall you for- would. 
I think I'd yeah. be good. I think I'd be excellent <laughs> at it. Um, it's a task that's tall for everyone. You, the other thing that comes up a lot in, in your book is is or sort of the themes of markets. Uh, and, and so much of tanking is built around the idea of, you know, teams who aren't the Lakers, that aren't the Nets, that aren't the, you know, whatever. If you're not in the giant market, you can't attract the players. And obviously, the Lakers basically just had to clear the runway for LeBron to come here because he wanted to. And then Anthony Davis, it's like, just keep offering David Griffin stuff until he says yes, because Anthony Davis wants to come here and eventually he's going yes. to make it here. But how how much does market matter versus or like in addition to competence? Um, because the Lakers had a stretch where they were terrible and also tried to throw money at <laughs> Carmelo Anthony, at uh, Kevin yes. Durant, who wouldn't even take a meeting, at LaMarcus Aldridge twice. Um, yes. They got two cracks at that. And they couldn't get anybody to take their money because nobody wanted to go near that dumpster fire. So how are yeah. those two things related in a market like LA? For sure. And as I said before we got on air, I think a big reason why a lot of these teams tank is because they're not the Lakers and they can't, like you said, wait for some superstar to sign there and then another one to want to trade for them. And I think the Lakers put themselves in a situation where they end up falling into this tanking conversation, being one of the rebuilding teams because they shot themselves in, in the foot when, when they offered Kobe that that golden parachute contract, as Clay Moser calls it in the book, in, in November 2013. They gave him two years, $48.5 million. And there's a lot of people, I mean, at least several people I talked to who were with the Lakers that time who believed Kobe would have taken less. And not only did they, they pay him more than he would have taken, but you don't believe <laughs> I, that? I think those people are respectfully wrong, but, but yeah. continue. I happen to well, think he I certainly had the no opportunity. Effing, no effing way. <laughs> we'll take, a little, we'll take a little bit less. I think he he his only benchmark was that he wanted to be the highest paid player in the league, and there was a lot more wiggle room that they had, which wouldn't have prevented them from I mean, taking. He up certainly could have done it though. <laughs> like I doubt the Lakers have. said, "Take forty-eight and a half million or nothing." It's yeah. only this number that we're throwing. Well, I don't think it was that either. I think it was just here's our first offer, and they were like, "Sure." Great. But I'm just saying, it's not like yeah, there was there was certainly not offer. a competitive bidding process. Right. Here. Here's they were our first against offer, themselves. and it's our only offer, and it has to be yes. specifically this number. If you offer yes. to take less, we are going to decline our own number. Like that, exactly, I mean, exactly. That I don't think. No, definitely not. And I think, regardless of the number, regardless of what he would have been willing to come down to. Signing him early prevented them from having two max cap spots. If they didn't, if they left him as unsigned, they could have gone into the luxury tax after they signed two stars. And that unfortunately coincided with when LeBron left Miami and Rich Paul and Mark Tremini were holding meetings with people in Akron, with the teams. They told Mitch Kupchak and every other executive that they talked to that LeBron is taking the max. So when the Lakers didn't have two max cap spots available, they couldn't get both LeBron and Melo. Melo was down to come for a little bit less. But after doing that for four years in Miami, LeBron didn't want to do that anymore. He wanted to have his max salary to, A, allow every player in the league to command their max salary, and, B, to hold the you know GM and the management ownership's feet to the fire and to be able to say, like, I'm here. I want to compete for a title just like he's doing it with the Lakers right now. So – Signing Kobe that early prevented them from having those two max cop spats. Who, who who knows if it would have happened, but they they, yeah. they shut the door before. I mean, it's it's one thing if you if you end up with with uh, Mello and LeBron and a, and a rehabbing Kobe or whatever. 
um, six or seven or eight, nine years, whatever that is. Like it's almost, what is that? Eight years ago now or something? Six, it's, it's seven a, years it's ago, seven, yeah. yeah. Um, like obviously that's a different deal, but like, you know, they, they tried again, they tried to get Carmelo onto a team that was not going to be able to go anywhere with them. They tried, they, they were going to max out the Marcus all like if the Lakers yeah. were more competent managerially speaking over the course of time, um, while they were the worst team in the league, would yeah. they have been able to get to this point? I don't think so because Jim Buss and Mitch Kupchak, from everyone I spoke to around that situation, they were steadfast in their belief that one summer a star will come and choose us, just like LeBron eventually did in 2018. But that was a long time, and Mitch Kupchak and Jim Buss were obviously not there to reap those benefits. And I do think that you know the, the result of all their – I mean, I have Travis Schlenk, the Hawks GM, calling the Lakers the worst managed team in the league over five years on the record in the book. And they, you could argue they were piecing together all those one-year contracts and, and really believing that Kobe at 36 and 37 and 38 after tearing his Achilles and hurting his knee and hurting his shoulder, they believed he could take them into the postseason and that would be enough to, to show another star, come join me. So sure enough, it, it, it worked that they See, got all these, those second-round those, those, those number two picks and they trade them for Anthony Davis and LeBron's there and they won the title. But, yeah, it was a long, hard road to get there. As I always tell people, Andy, Jim Buss deserves a statue for doing excellent work. It's It was unconventional, but look where it got us. If he was better at his job, the Lakers wouldn't be winning titles again. There's two, there's two questions, Jake, off mm -hmm. Kobe's contract and that general process that yes. I, I want to ask you about when we get back. Um, that even in all this well covered territory that you know brian and i've been around this for years i've never heard quite explained so we'll get into that coming up next locked on lakers brought to you though by built bar built bar the best tasting protein bar ever these are bars covered in 100 chocolate jake they are soft they're easy to chew i'm not going to call out the ones they, that they, aren't they, are, they provide people the kind of fuel that's necessary to just like pound out a book exactly you just, like yeah, you need you need you need that low that high protein low sugar a low calorie thing. <laughs> oh yeah, you 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 eat a few of these, Jake, and still built to lose. It's it's just gonna write itself. Uh, built bars, they're healthy. They're great for the health conscious guy. You can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber. Great for keto diets. Great flavors. Uh, you got the original ones like raspberry, coconut almond, salted caramel, banana bread. New ones like cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, cookies and cream. They're perfect for someone like me who loves just really interesting cool taste combinations you never get bored eating the same thing over and over go to builtbar.com use the promo code locked 15 and you'll get 15 percent off your first order again the code is locked 15 for 15 percent off at builtbar.com all right so jake we've been talking a lot about that period uh between kobe basically tearing his achilles and the lakers eventually getting lebron and you know the the issues that came from Kobe's contract. And one of the things that I think is interesting about this that I've never quite heard explained before, I understand why they gave Kobe, the, as Clay Moser called it, the uh, golden parachute contract. It was money that obviously would create a certain degree of cap issues for the Lakers. But at the same time, Kobe, over the course of time, absolutely earned that money. You know, he yeah. earned that type of set, send off. And I, and I don't have any issue with him getting it. That being said, though, do you ever did you ever get a sense of why they decided to do it then 
like in the middle of that season bidding against nobody. And I don't think even if Kobe had threatened to leave, I, I don't think it would have been much of a threat because it's Kobe's not an easy guy to just drop into another team, particularly sure. a team that would have been contending like at that state. Did you ever get a sense of just why there was this urgency to do it then as opposed to the upcoming offseason where he still could have gotten the same money and they would have had more cap flexibility? Yeah, I, I think a large majority of, of what the Lakers did and how they functioned at that time was trying to broadcast messaging to potential stars to come join them. And I think you got to remember what happened that summer. Dwight Howard left them, right? And that was that 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 left a lot of Lakers officials licking their wounds. That you know they the whole state D twelve billboards and all that type of stuff. You know they really thought they were going to retain Dwight. And I think watching him leave for Houston made a lot of people at that franchise start to look in the mirror and be like, oh my god, maybe we maybe we can't just keep adding stars to Kobe. We can't just go from Shaq to Powell to Dwight to the next guy. Maybe we need to you know really show that Kobe is Kobe and commit to him and, and show that we, yeah. we still view ourselves as this franchise that can, you know, be a, a franchise of stars. And when you come here, we're going to treat you the same way that we're treating him. I, I do think that played a role in LeBron coming to LA. I really do. Cause I think he was interested in the Lakers in 2014 for, you know, the, the reason why having, even having this conversation, I think there was a viability. And I think part of that was definitely due to how they treated Kobe. And I think if flash forward to 2016, I think Kobe's retirement tour also made LeBron take an eye at like, oh, maybe that could be me in you know seven to ten years whenever I do hang it up myself too. Um, I just, I mean, I guess there's some truth, but I, I gotta be honest. I think a lot of it was just fear. I think a lot of it was Dwight Howard had just left. Um, there was an enormous amount of concern about whether or not the team was being competently run, whether they still had any cachet. Fans were, uh, to say the least. Uh, down on the team and on the front office and the direction that they were going. And I think they did it. Yeah, sure. You want to show you take care. You're the Lakers. You take care of your stars and all that. I think it was this shiny object to throw out at the fans. Look, we've still got Kobe. He's not going anywhere. We believe in him and all that. And it's a shiny object. So you don't look behind the curtain. I, I think there was an enormous amount of fear at that time that yeah. that moved into that discussion. Maybe it pays off eventually in LeBron understanding this is how the team treats its stars. I do yeah. not think that was, if not the primary motivation, I don't think it was the only motivation though, when the Lakers yeah. made that move. I, I think, I think Dwight leaving really sent shockwaves and like, all right, let's have a gut check moment. And like, we gotta, we gotta do something here. Yeah, I agree. Today on the road, the finals, our NBA coverage, as always brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it. If you enjoy it at 2.6 carbs, 95 calories, we can all enjoy the games a little more this season. Um, another thing I wanted to ask you about, and I love in the book, Jake, um, how someone mentions the Lakers falling ass backwards in the lottery picks, <laughs> because that was literally the phrase I used for years in talking about this period, how they were doing everything to avoid the perception of tanking, the process of tanking, anything that looked like tanking, because not that they didn't uh, think that it could work, but really that they felt it was the wrong image for the Lakers. You couldn't do this with Kobe on the mm -hmm. roster. And they ended up falling ass backward into good fortune for several years yeah. through their own ineptitude with top five, top 10 picks. Do you get a sense at all that they realize how lucky they got? And I ask this <laughs> just because with hindsight comes reflection and learning that they can apply 
moving forward. Like that the people involved with this came to recognize like, Jesus, we, we dodged a bullet of our own making. I do know. And I think I'm pretty sure I wrote it in the book that Lakers staffers were definitely keeping an eye on Philly and they were really concerned they were going to lose that pick to Philly at a certain point in the 15 draft and the 16 draft and the 17 draft too. I mean, I definitely don't, maybe they weren't like, Oh, we did get lucky, but I think they were like, Ooh, you know, wipe, wipe on their brow when they, when those picks did pop up and when they pop up at two, I mean, at a certain point, you know, by, by 17, you're like, Jesus, are they going to keep getting two for perpetuity here? But then again, like even in 2019, yes. the very first, yeah. <laughs> because one is very, too obvious. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But well, in 2019, the very first year of the new lottery reform, remember, there was never a fourth drawing. And the Lakers, they stealthily benched LeBron. We had that, that questionable groin injury. They go all the way up, and they get the fourth pick, and that pick allows them to basically keep Kyle Kuzma from trading for Anthony Davis. Like, they got they got lucky there too. Okay, and that actually, Jake, leads to something I also want to ask you about because I have been for a long time a proponent of a very reckless, unsourced, but strongly felt opinion <laughs> that the league for several years rigged lotteries in order to help the Lakers get high draft picks, sometimes even meeting, beating mathematical odds in the process. Yeah. And this eventually turned into Randall, Russell, Ingram as their way of making up for the injustice that was the Chris Paul trade, hashtag basketball reasons, hashtag never forget. That was in a lot of ways the beginning of the Lakers spiral, and the league realized yeah. they had screwed over the Lakers, and they actually owed it to them to right this wrong in any way possible, even if it meant saving them from themselves. Did your reporting uncover any evidence of my theory? <laughs> my reporting uncovered zero evidence of your theory, although I will say, you know, to go back to your point about tanking has been around forever. You know, David Stern put in the first version of the lottery in 1985 after if his very first year as a commissioner after the Rockets tanked for Akeem Olajuwon. And what happened in 1985, the very first year of the lottery, the frozen envelopes. That's, all, that's definitely allowed for conspiracy theories like this to happen over and over and over. I mean, the Sixers got the number one pick in 2016 a couple months after they pushed Hinky out. So people thought that was a review or, or like a reward, but – I, I do think, you know, there's a very complex machine with all these balls mm. that pop up. Now, and there's are, a lot of people watching okay. it. I believe with, the sanctity of the lottery. With that in mind, though, did you not uncover the evidence because it doesn't exist? Because the NBA is just really good at covering it up? Or because maybe you're just not a very good reporter? <laughs> did, you, did you consider that? that maybe you just you know not to i mean people should still go by built to lose how the nba's tanking era changed the league forever just maybe understand it's it's not written yeah. by woodward and bernstein <laughs> listen if there's one thing i'm good at in this life i think it's being a reporter i will stand by okay. that talk to 300 people for this book a lot of good info but i do i i don't think that i don't think the evidence exists i think there's representatives from every team every year in that back room they've got ernst and young the accounting firm in there making sure everything's all good there's never been any complaints from people on the inside there's only been complaints from people on the outside sorry well Andy. the outside it's, where it's, we it's live. much more fun yeah Andy's, <laughs> you have to admit andy's theory is way more fun yeah well but i'm, I'm correct though the, the lakers we're screwed over by the league. The league did owe this to you're them right. because of the first right. hashtag basketball reasons, hashtag never forget. And you're right in that it, regard, definitely. It's not only what's good for the Lakers and what's owed the Lakers, it also what is what was best for the league. So it was them being altruistic and benevolent, but also <laughs> what was best for themselves. Like it was one of yeah. those things that's selfless and selfish. 
which is why I believe it is possible through my totally reckless, unsourced non-reporting. Basal speculation is the best kind of speculation. Right? Oh, yeah, it's really the only kind that we get I mean, into. To be honest, what you do, what you do, Jake, it's admirable, but kind of a drag. It's like, very hard. It's very hard. Our, our way, our way is much more fun. Totally, I would agree. I would agree. Yeah. Um, when the, the, there's some the, before we let you go, there's some great stuff in there um, about this this era of the Lakers accidentally tanking, and some of my favorite stuff involves the choice of Byron Scott um, mm -hmm. as Lakers head coach. Why was Byron Scott named the Lakers head coach? That made no sense. From from what I was told, and I have this on, on pretty good, well-sourced authority to go back to our last point, um, Byron's contract was two years, which was the length of Kobe's contract. They came into the league together. Yeah, and I really, I really do believe, and from what I've heard, that it was a, a two-year lame duck coach just to kind of ride with Kobe into the sunset and keep everything together and not, you know, a total shit show. Because remember that the years before, you know, when Jim Buss died, that allowed – or Jerry Buss died, excuse me um, – allowed for all this infighting between uh, Genie and Magic and her people and D'Antoni and Kupchak and Jim and their sides. And I think Byron was the one that everyone could get behind – and unfortunately, you're right. It made no sense. He was not the coach to develop all these lottery picks that they were no. getting inadvertently. And D'Angelo Russell despised him. I have him on the record calling Byron an idiot and telling me that he would take the most circuitous routes possible back to the bench when he got called out of games to avoid even high-fiving Byron, let alone getting pissed that he thought Byron took him out just to cause a controversy for Byron to be the star of the post-game press conference. So, yeah, it was definitely a head-scratcher for a lot of people involved, that's for sure. Yeah, we, we covered those teams. And while I do think D'Angelo had a certain degree of uh, validity in his criticisms with, with the way Byron treated him and utilized him on the court, and you know we've talked about this with Byron before. We like Byron. We have a good relationship with him. The yeah. idea that he was pulling uh, D'Angelo in order to make himself more of a post-game show—that's a little wild. Yeah, that's what he <laughs> that's believed. That's what he believed. D'Angelo, I think, need had had some maturity issues at the time. He some did. Of he, he well him, uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah. he's a good player. Just the whole thing didn't make sense. He is, you know, you know, when you have a bunch of young guys who need to develop. And, and all that. Byron Scott is in, in the yeah. modern NBA is not necessarily the, the choice that I would have landed on personally. Yeah. There, there um, was an interesting tug and pull that whole 15-16 season of this is Kobe's retirement tour, but we also we have the next generation. And I, I, I watched his final game a couple weeks ago. Um, I wrote a whole thing on Substack like about that game. Um, and you, you see him at the end, like he's draped around Randall and Clarkson and D'Angelo. It's like, oh my God, this is the next, the next gen. But that next gen couldn't really get started until Kobe and Byron, you know, exit stage left. He's yeah, we, we we covered that closely. It was, uh, to say the least, awkward. Um, all right, the book is Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever. The author is Jake Fisher. Uh, you can pick up the book at Amazon, at your local bookstore, at everywhere they sell books. Yep. Um, and you can check out his work at um, at Bleacher Report and uh, also on the Lockdown Lakers YouTube channel. We'll try to get some stuff up there, a little <laughs> exclusive stuff with our conversation with Jake. Um, so check there as well. Jake, thanks so much for coming on. Congratulations on the book. You got it. Thank you, guys. This was a lot of fun.